What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, I've got Barry Brewer. When you look at um, principles and practices in agile project management methodology, one of those principles is fail fast so you can fix early. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real life human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, so totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Barry, thanks for making time. Well, thanks, Jess, for the invitation. Um, I've been looking forward to this. I think we've been talking about it for six months or something, but um, glad we could finally make time. I, uh, I think today's going to be a fun show um, because you've got expertise in more than just one thing. Um, you started ProMed, ran that for 19 years, started from scratch, exited it for $250 million. Um, you've been involved in the philanthropy world, supporting orphanages in Ecuador and helping do micro lending and, and uh, helping sustainability in East Africa for almost 20 years now. Um, you're currently the executive director at Church and State, the business incubator in Salt Lake City. Um, tell me, of all these things, um, what do you feel like are some of the constants that show up no matter what you're working on? Well, for us, it's really directing our efforts <clears throat> and our energy into something that has purpose. And so it's it's really been interesting, you know. Um, trying to blend a for-profit endeavor with an, another nonprofit where there's some purpose and meaning and you can, <clears throat> pardon me, you can give back in a meaningful way because we feel like we've been so blessed and all of us um, in this country, you know, have so much more than people in emerging economies uh, what have has been referred to as third world countries. So I, I just feel like it's an opportunity to give back any, any chance we have to do that and do it in a meaningful way. That's a real bonus. I think that your um, natural like magnetism, like your, your <laughs> like happy nature that how people always want to come talk to you and stuff. I think that that must be one of the things that, uh, adds to this approach um, and uh, the reason that people are, are pursuing you. But um, tell me this, you, you've got credibility, you've, you've 
become a real student of Agile and Lean and these methodologies. But when you were starting ProMed, and and f- maybe we should back up a little bit and have you talk a little bit about the medical devices you guys made. But um, do you feel like you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth or, or talk to us about actually having to work to grow this business? Okay. You want the blood and guts then, huh? <laughs> you want some blood and guts. Okay. Well, the truth is um, I never came from a, an advantaged upbringing. At the same time, I didn't feel like I was really wanting for anything. Um, we grew up just like, you know, I'd say on the lower end of um, um, what would you call it, <laughs> of, of the income scale. And uh, I just had an opportunity. I was very grateful that the opportunity I had to get an education. And uh, as I finished up my undergrad degree, I was trying to figure out, you know, what the next step was. And so I pursued uh, kind of an interim career in real estate sales. And then uh, my father approached me with the idea of, hey, you know, why don't we try something totally unique and maybe a little crazy? And that is, let's start our own business. And so I asked him, well, how are we going to do that? Neither one of us have any money. He said, well, we're just going to have to get creative, I guess. And it just so happened that he was working for a pharmaceutical company at the time. And he had some relationships with some uh, physicians and some clinics. And so we really started on half a shoestring. You know, when people talk about bootstrapping, typically you hear the words shoestring. Well, I'm going to tell you, the shoestring we had was really not much of a shoestring. It was more of a half a shoestring. <laughs> so um, we took a second mortgage out on our home, which is a little starter home. And with just a handful of cash, um, we tried to leverage ourselves into this uh, supply business where we would go around and supply clinics and physicians' offices with soft goods, expendable products, as well as durable medical goods. And what was difficult about that is most of the products were manufactured under brand names like Johnson and Johnson or Bard. And these brand names, um, it was very difficult for a reseller, like someone that wants to distribute wholesale to get acquisition or to, to get access to that line. And so that was the uphill battle there was, trying to figure out, well, how are we going to, because these manufacturers required uh, minimal first-time orders or stocking orders. And much, most of the time, those stocking orders were way beyond our means. So we just had to get really creative and <laughs> go into some uh, significant debt um, until, you know, we got to a point where we bootstrapped um, and through a lot of long hours, a lot of effort, we were able to get hit break even and then go above the line and then um, 
tragedy struck in 86. We started in 79. My dad passed away unexpectedly in 86. And it was just he and I, we were the partners in the business. Uh, our wives helped us out, you know, with light bookkeeping and, um, and they were absolute sweethearts in supporting us in this insanity. And so, um, anyway, after my dad passed away, um, it was at that point that we had to make some really hard decisions once again, um, because we had acquired some property that we were going to build a building on. And, uh, we were in Utah Valley at the time. Um, U.S. Steel, Geneva Works, laid off thousands of employees. So the economy uh, hit the skids and real estate values just plummeted. So we were really um, <laughs> behind the eight ball. We were upside down in a lot of whatever we had by way of assets were basically in the negative um, on the negative side of the ledger. So we were trying to figure out, well, you know, what do we do from here? And so, um, luckily, my brother was in pre-med at University of Utah, and he was so kind as to come in and say, well, you know, we, we can do this. We just need to automate. Um, and so he has some computer skills and competencies that I did not have. And so we kind of put our heads together and, and uh, did another um, startup, and this one was kind of Rather, from, rather than starting up from ground zero, we were actually in the rears or in a negative, um, as far as assets go, we were on the negative side. We were writing uh, with red ink at the time. And so anyway, we just, uh, through a lot of hard work and, and blessings from heaven, we just bootstrapped this thing up. And, and uh, then we were doing basic medical supplies at the time and wholesale distribution. And we pivoted into a specialty, which was really our saving grace. Um, we got into emergency and critical care uh, products and durable medical equipment. And then uh, from there, we looked around and recognized that there were some products out there that weren't quite... Um, doing they weren't they weren't satisfying the practitioner's needs and so and and how did you identify that i mean what was what, what did some, that look like identifying that well we had a great relationship with uh, a lot of physicians and surgeons um, and some emergency medical doctors and um, so we had conversations with them and they would point to some of these uh, insufficiencies or inadequacies. Um, and so we would ask them, well, what would you want to see this instrument look like? Or how would you want to, how would you suggest improving this device? And so we did some reverse engineering and uh, that led us down another pathway. We did a spinoff company called MedTech. And then uh, we manufactured well, first of all, we reverse engineered some products and then we were able to tie up some intellectual property. So we filed patents on some of these products and then put them through the R&D and process and uh, went out, found a market um, and 
just built the market up on a couple of these products. Yeah, like what, what's an example of something you guys patented? Now, one was a uh, endotracheal tube holder, and another product was uh, a device uh, that went on to an oxygen regulator, and it was a, a protective device for the regulator gauge, and we called it the gauge shroud. Like um, so somebody didn't accidentally adjust it? What's it protecting? Well, yeah, it protected the gauge uh, itself. And the gauge was kind of fragile on mm, these oxygen like regulators. Damage. Yeah. We also um, went into some oxygen regulator technology. Um, we had a product that was a cricotherotomy device to, for doing quick airway management. Uh, some people understand it as... Uh, tracheotomy but it's this was called a cricothyrotomy device anyway it's so those were uh, in the in the area of critical care transport devices we also had some vacuum splints to splint uh, fractures for urgent care or emergency care situations and and how did you guys you know i'm thinking on the capital allocation side you know like the the warren buffett of like you know, how do you know what to use your profits on from a business, right? Um, right. You know, there's so many classic stories of somebody out there building a better mousetrap and they overinvest in R&D that they never recoup. How did you make the decisions about what was going to be worth investing the R&D in uh, versus just continuing on the business you're already on? Well, because our budget was so thin and uh, limited, we had to make sure that when we did pull the trigger on, let's say, investing in a tool like an injection mold that was you know, between twenty dollars and $80,000, uh, we had to make absolutely certain that we had the support from the market there. So we would go out and get pre-sales, kind of like um, crowdfunding now, if you did... Um, you know, mm-hmm. a, st- uh, a Kickstarter or something like that. Yeah. If you did a Kickstarter program and you pre-sold product, well, that's kind of the way we did it. Only we did it, uh, in the low tech old school fashion. Yeah. And, um, when you think about that move, I mean, you know, it's not like, it's not like you came out of, uh, Harvard Business School to then have all sorts of experience in the medical device and, and medical supply world and then started your own. I mean, coming from being a real estate agent and a, a land appraiser to, you know, yeah, dad, let's, let's grow this medical business. Um, talk, about, talk about the courage or the naivety or, or what advice you'd have for other people who are in that spot at life. Oh, courage. <laughs> I, think, I, I think it's... Um... That's an interesting definition. It's faith and blind faith in my case, because I didn't know what I didn't know. And so it was really uh, a leap, very, very long loop of faith to do any of this. Um, but, you know, I was young and dumb and, uh, hey. It's such just, an advantage. <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, and, and the interesting thing, when you look at um, – principles and practices in agile project management methodology. One of those principles is fail fast so you can fix early, you know, 
And so we did a lot of failures um, and luckily we were able to recoup. Um, but, you know, the truth is it does take uh, a great deal of intestinal fortitude to just make that leap. Yeah. You know, another thought that I uh, think I'd be interested to hear you talk about is, um, you know, people so often they, they spout off the cliches about don't do business with family. And, and certainly I have some family members that I'm not sure I would be a great match for owning a business with, but like I've owned companies with my brother for, for a decade now. Um, talk about, I mean, then there's big ups and downs with, with me and my brother, you know, we're so aligned and I'm so invested in this working out for his family, but also like sometimes we get madder at each other than we would at, at a independent third party. Um, yeah. Tell me about ups and downs of being business partners with your dad. Oh, yeah, sure. I totally agree with you. I think when you look at family businesses, there are inherent um, dangers, minefields to have, to navigate um, and challenges, you know, that that are personalities, politics that come into play there. I was very fortunate because uh, my dad and I got along really well. Um, and where there was uh, conflict, I think... It had mostly to do with bringing on technology uh, or trying to streamline processes because, you know, people get set in their ways, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when you think about change and how difficult it is for people, uh, human beings, by nature, we are creatures of habit. And so change is so difficult to manage. And that's just kind of the way it is. But, you know, uh, when you think about life and working through uh, challenges that we have in life, whether you're in business with family or, or otherwise, um, it's like John Michael Montgomery's lyrics to his song. Life is really just a dance and you learn as you go. And uh, sometimes you lead, sometimes you follow. <laughs> and I think, I think it's really important that we recognize that we do need to dance. We need to have give and take in relationships. Um, I do think that my father and I would have done fine and we would have continued uh, with a successful uh, exit. And, but he passed away unexpectedly and um and you know we worked with together my brother came in and my mom helped us out and i sure you know we had some uh, struggles along the way but uh, i think when it when the rubber meets the road where the rubber meets the road is just to recognize that together we're stronger together than we are apart. So synergy is a real thing, you know? Yeah. You know, um, I imagine it's so tough. I mean, uh, losing a parent that you care about is tough enough, let alone the jeopardy of, of losing your business partner now. Um, imagine that was a, a time of big uncertainty for you. Oh yeah, it was, especially considering uh, there were some circumstances that made it real difficult. Uh, Dad was right between life insurance policies. He was 
um, canceling one and he was starting another. He, but he canceled the one before he got to the new oh, one no. started. And so he was in limbo. And what that did for my mom was it, it just, there was no safety net whatsoever. Shoot. So it was, um, like I say, we started from behind the eight ball uh, the second time around, which was, wow. I look back on that and I think it did build some character. Um, and I've got some gray hair to show for it as well. <laughs> um, well, listen, you know, now we go into the next phase of you working with another family member. And I'm just thinking, you know, uh, I have so much fun hanging out with you down at church and state. And there's, you know, there's all these uh, young guys asking you advice. And um, you've really spent this time to become a student of these methodologies like lean and agile. And so I was interested to hear you talk about automation. Um, when you think about the lessons of you guys bringing in these, you know, these leverage points, these, you know, the computer systems to really automate, um, what kind of advice would you have for this next generation of entrepreneurs um, as far as, you know, the difference between trading your hours for dollars versus building a, a system, you know, an automated system or something that can uh, really have those leverage points to scale? You know, that's a great conversation, um, or, or at least topic of conversation. Um, it's difficult when to, to um, lay out a plan that is based upon empirical reasoning when there's so much emotion involved. I mean, a lot of people... <laughs> You know, a lot of people that come to us with these ideas they have, mm -hmm. they're very passionate about this, whatever the idea is, whether it's a, a software solution for the real estate salesperson that's, you know, going to take the place of Salesforce and it's the, the CS or the CRM um, to beat all or, you know, or, or it's a, a new um, product, whether it's a med tech or an ed tech um, Whatever the product is, if, if if there's emotion and passion involved, which is a good thing, because you got to be passionate about it, or you know, it doesn't. You can't take it to the next level of development. But um, that passion has got to be bridled with um, how are we going to make decisions here? Like how are we going to decide whether we're going to start this up in a lean fashion? or start it up by the seat of our pants and just kind of take the lumps as they come and, you know, bloody our nose along the way. Um, so as far as recommendation, I would just suggest that, you know, somehow we need to bridle our passion and make decisions based upon evidence and go out and survey. First of all, a lot of these ideas and a lot of entrepreneurs will get started without looking at identifying and defining who their customer is. So first of all, if we know who our customer is, you know, then we can go out and survey the voice of that customer to find out, well, if I did make this widget, would you buy it? And so to go out and survey the marketplace. And I love you guys going a step further of actually going to the pre-sales. You know, I think there's a lot of people been through the experience of 
people talk to somebody, they said they'd buy it if you built it. It's pretty loose conversation. They spend all this, they spend nine months, they build it and they come back and somebody says, well, you know, I don't remember that conversation. And, you know, like when it comes right down to spending the dollars, all of a sudden they're not quite so, uh, they're not quite so positive about this thing you should do, you know? So true. Um, I, uh, I think that, you know, the lesson of you guys actually like, you know, taking that to the next step, like going all the way to pre-sales, that, that's a pretty magic position for, you know, the reliability of this thing staying profitable after you've invested the time to, to create the service or create the product. Um, well, listen, I, I think this is where we'll cut it off for part one of the interview. Um, make sure to check back for the next episode with Barry. We're going to be talking about um, the next phase of his entrepreneurial world as he's at Church and State Business Incubator, the website's cs1893.com and we'll hear about uh, some of the other adventures including working in Africa and and the exciting things that are going on today thanks so much thank you let's say you just bought a house bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations.